Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Welcome to the Readier Room, not to be confused with Women at Warp. Ours is the only Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast made by people who made the show itself. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant of Services at Paramount Studios, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs, Head of Resources Management. Brandon, how are we doing on this fine-ish day? Oh, I am doing, uh, doing fine-ish, Mitch. Yeah. You matched yeah, the day? Yeah. I, I, I did match the day. I matched this episode. Well, don't they? Hey. Hey. Well, we can find out. I, I know later. we're going to have some disagreements here, but yeah, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's move on, get to that when we cross that bridge. Yeah, on this, the most controversial episode of The Readier Room, um, going to be a battlegrounds. But before that, we have this week's question of this week which comes from fan named ken who asks if each member of the enterprise bridge crew was a fast food restaurant which one would they be which that's an excellent question right i i think that's why i love our fans very insightful yeah. group they, um, they think outside the box they do they do just new ways of relating to star trek and understanding star trek and consuming star trek which is really all we want to be doing in uh, right as we've reached the 40th anniversary of the show. Absolutely. I always say, if you're not consuming Star Trek, what are you doing? Right, right, right. That's right. Okay, so I, I don't want to beleaguer this too much, let, lest Ken get offended that we're not answering his wonderful question. Um, so, to start it off, I think we should start with the captain, as always, Picard. Who I think very clearly, pretty obviously, is just a Long John Silver's guy. Um, mm -hmm. Riker, of course, Burger King. Uh, moving on, Troy, which I thought about this one for a while, but obviously got to be Wendy's, you know, when you really get down to it. Um, Crusher, pretty Panera Bready, right? I don't know. Yeah, 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 she's classy. Right. That one might be controversial. Insofar as Panera Bread fast food or not fast food, um, I know there's a lot of hot opinions and hot takes on that. But I think once you open up a drive-through, you're you're pretty solidly in fast food. Yeah, and I mean any restaurant that sells uh, soup in a bread bowl, um, you're reaching fast food levels of calories on that one. So exactly, or or a salad that is really just barbecue chicken. Yeah, just just a just a vessel for, for dressing and fried food. Right. I, okay. So moving on, I assume that, that Ken probably already knows this one, but you know, data Jack in the box. What else, yeah, was yeah. That, what else is he going to be? Um, Lieutenant Yar, what a burger, of course. Now, Jordy, this one was, I think the most difficult to, to arrive at, but all, you know, probably Popeye's, you know, that's an unusual choice. It is, it is. But, I think if we just went with the obvious one for all of these, well, what would be the point of asking the question, right? But when you yeah. really analyze it at a deeper level, 
and analyze Jordy's character at a deeper level, uh, Popeyes. So, Wesley Crusher, Hungry Jacks, the classic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Worf, definitely a Boston Market type character. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, I I hope that that answers your question, Ken. I hope you um, leave this with a deeper understanding of, of both the characters and the restaurants. But... Honestly, it's making me think of things differently already. It's just making me think of things. It's great. So yeah, yeah. It's a riveting question. Everybody listening, remember if you have your own question that you'd like to ask about Star Trek, about fast food, please send it to the readierroom at gmail.com. That's with a capital T, capital R, and a second capital R, and we will answer your question previously recorded on the show. I was about to say live, but we do not do the podcast live. So, not yet, at least. Not yet. Should the demand uh, be there? Yeah. We will we'll, be, we'll line up on tour dates. Yeah. We'll have to bill it as the readiest room at that point. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very exciting. Very exciting future. It is. Um, but let's let's move on to the episode at hand. Um, the battle. The battle. And, uh, uh, what, what, <clears throat> what episode of Star Trek Next Generation is the battle? Like, what number? The seven? I don't think that's true. I, th- I don't know either. I think uh, it's the eighth. Well, okay. Well, we'll just say it's the eighth, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll correct this in, in post. But um, before we move into the, the meat of the episode, I just wanted to you know run some numbers real quick. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> this is the second episode. Well, it's um, the eighth episode. Yes, yes. Let me finish, Mitch. This is the second episode uh, where Picard gets possessed. Um, it is the third or fourth episode where Wesley happens to be working on something engineering that is vital to the plot. Um, and it's it's also the third or fourth episode where he, he saves the day uh, almost single-handedly. Um, it's and a- it is this episode marks the uh, the five hundredth time that Riker does that weird thing with his eye. This time we get to see it like directly head on, um, like yeah. staring directly at the camera. Yeah, yeah, exciting stuff. Very dramatic, very tense. Yeah, um, and I want to point out about the Wesley saving the the day here. They really managed to innovate with this one. Because in this episode, Wesley saves the day off-screen, which is yeah, um, a great he, leap forward. He literally glances at some medical charts and and um, is able to figure out the problem well before any of the professional staff is. Um, I mean, let's just call this episode what it is. Uh, it's it's a an almost competently written episode that is entirely carried by Patrick Stewart. Um, I, I don't know if I agree with that assessment in that I think that the episode itself as a whole is like really good. Um, I I really like this, this episode and not like in a, in a, well, good for season one kind of way. I would watch this episode again, like in my list of TNG episodes that I enjoy coming back to. I would watch this again. 
And I don't think that Patrick Stewart is really all that great in it. Not bad, but not like especially good compared to usual. That is a controversial opinion if I've ever heard one. So what do you like about his performance so much here? Well, I mean, it's just, it's just Patrick Stewart's just great. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's just that the episode, conceptually, it's great, but I think it has so little else to offer. And I think as we run through the plot, you may, uh, you may change your mind here. I have a feeling you might change your mind. Well, what if you change your mind? Then I don't think I will. Won't you feel silly? But anyway, so let's 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 you know start from the beginning as we as we are wont to do. Yeah, one of um, these days we'll start at the end, and uh, it'll be a very yeah, radical way change back. for the ready or yeah, yeah, it's coming, it's coming. I'm sure I'm sure that'll you know be applicable for one episode coming up. Um, so the uh, the episode opens in Card's personal quarters, which is interesting. Um, it's the first time we get to see that. Um, and uh, you know it's it's decorated with all the all the stuff that you uh, you would expect Picard to be interested in. He's a very sophisticated man. He's got his books on his shelf. And um... oh, here, here's a here's a fun bit of trivia. Actually, <laughs> we we see a, a brief shot of some fish, right? Right. So these were actually sourced last minute from a local pet shop. Hmm. Um, since we did we didn't have anyone in charge of procuring animals for the show because you know Gene thought it would be a waste of money, right? Right. Because he had that that rare pet collection, um, which you know we talked about a couple episodes ago with the pig. Um, if you can do something yourself, you probably should. Yeah, it made sense. Um, the only thing is, uh, Gene Gene didn't really have an interest in fish, so when the scene called for fish, we just we we bought up a bunch of them for like half a day, and uh, I mean all things considered, it went pretty smoothly. Um, but uh, the owner wasn't really happy when uh, one of the producers went to return them, especially with, with the dead ones. Um, well, so when, we, when they're in the tank on set, there's just no way of getting food in there. Yeah, uh, I think there was an issue with the water. Um, I mean, whatever. For, for our purposes, it worked out. Um, but, you know, just, just to avoid embarrassing situations like that, we actually did end up hiring a fish master right after this. Um, and then, you know, in, in subsequent episodes, I think you start to see, uh, in my opinion, some really stunning fish compositions. Yeah, I think, uh, I think he won an Emmy for his work as Fishmaster. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. That was, God, I think it was like a season three or four episode. Right. Really so, just a master of his craft. We only sought the best talent for TNG and yeah. especially at the beginning, Sometimes we, you know, didn't have the budget for the best, but we were able to build up people to become at the top of their game. Such was the story of the Fishmaster. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Great guy. Great guy. Great fish. Um, beautiful fish. So uh, we're treated to a new uh, person walking into another person's room um, scene. Crusher comes in and... Uh, you, you kind of wonder where this is going, and it turns out Picard just just has a headache. Well, let let's just stop here for a moment because this this scene has a lot of bizarre dialogue to me. Yes, it does. Thank you, thank so, you for that. So Crusher is like uh, tending to Picard as a doctor, and he's describing his symptoms as a headache, 
And Crusher acts like she has very little idea of what this is. Like, like, like they're living in a post-headache society. Which... I think that, that is exactly what I had written down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we know each other too well. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I, it, it's so weird, right? Because the, there's, how do you the live cherry on top of it? The cherry on, yes, there's that. You can't, you can't just breed headaches out of the gene pool. You would still have to treat them somehow. Right. You don't just stop having headaches. The cherry on top of this is the ridiculous expository dialogue uh, a little further down the line when Picard is in sickbay. Is this about where... the cold? I think so, but she also expounds on the headache thing, which she doesn't need to. Like, we get it. We understand. Like, And uh, so much of Crusher's screen time uh, up to this episode has just been that weird, clunky, clumsy expository dialogue telling us that uh star trek is post this and post that in terms of diseases right um which is just not needed we get it we understand and it's it's just it's just so clumsy some some of it can work like you want to explain that um big things like cancer things that are huge problems yeah. to people now are like right. wow in this future they don't have cancer that's that's amazing i want to live in this future you know that that's like significant but no, the story doesn't gain anything from establishing that headaches are no longer an issue, right? If if mm -hmm. if we're showing Picard has a headache, then already that's different from normal. So the audience is like, okay, something's going on with this. No one's gonna be like, wow, it's some kind of mystical space headache that humanity hasn't seen before. Like, who? It's, it's not right important for the story, and, and not at all. I, talking about stupid expository dialogue, uh, she makes sure to mention that uh, humanity's no longer suffering from things like the common cold. And this is might be the most uh, nitpicky point I've ever made in my life. But you're not going to call it the common cold if it's an extinct illness that that people no longer experience. That's Yeah, that's a great point. It's just dumb. <laughs> It's it's a level of dumb writing that, um, it, it like this also doesn't impact the story, but it, it just it's it almost insults me as a viewer that this is this is how you wrote this because like no one's gonna know what you know a cold is or the symptoms of that unless you call it the common cold and you couldn't have said yeah. something like influenza or you know yeah a simple fix people know what influenza is right. It's just bizarre. Yeah, me. yeah. And, you know, on top of that, we're treated to some very, uh, like, dialogue on par with Dark Knight Rises airplane scene. Um, <laughs> it's a very it's, it's just, just description. Very strange. I don't know what, what was going on with the writers here, but um, whatever. Let's, let's, let's move on, I guess, right? So um, All of this is to say Picard has a headache. Yeah, Picard has a headache, which is unusual. Um, and so, so the conceit of this episode is: is what? Why do they meet up with the Ferengi? What a question. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think it's diplomatic, right? I think the Ferengi hailed them. Um, because they say like, oh, you know, we've been in contact with the Ferengi, but they haven't. They've told us to wait. They haven't said anything for a matter of excuse me, a matter of hours or days or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, I don't remember exactly why, but the I think the Ferengi arrange a meeting with them, which right, you know, right. once you know the details of the plot, like it makes sense that the Ferengi would in, uh, initiate this this meeting. But mm. um, yeah, interesting, interesting thing I wanted to bring up about uh, about the Ferengi. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about the Ferengi in this episode, but uh, we're treated to the to the 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 white screen again. I was gonna say the same thing. It's it's amazing. <laughs> Um, you had it the first time, and the second time is not quite a pattern yet. The third is when you establish a pattern, but it, it it's if I wonder if this is just the Ferengi's thing, like they exist in a dream space beyond physical reality. I, once they're I, on the I think ship. they, I think they, I think they decided just to take their ball and go home with this one. <laughs> you know, screw it. Yeah. Uh, we we were supposed to create interiors for the uh, for the inside of the Ferengi ship, and just never did. For this I mean, episode, if it was good enough the first time, then might as well be good enough the second time. Yeah, yeah, it worked. Um, but you know, also interesting about the Ferengi is um, we we've settled on a pronunciation for Daemon. Yes, yes, we have. I know that was confusing, and I know a lot of our viewers were uh, waiting on an answer to that one. Uh, here it is: the canon pronunciation of Daemon. Um, and then I'd also like to point out that. Uh, the Ferengi aren't really jumping around as much. They're not as feral. No, they're not as feral. They don't talk as caveman-like. Um, yeah, they, they yeah. still say things like human, but their grammar isn't isn't fucked. Um, yeah, and and the the human stuff is kind of kept to a to a minimum, which right. is nice. The, I I have only positive things to say about the Frankie's treatment in this episode. Yeah, um, I mean they, they're they're still not remotely threatening, but right. But in this. In this episode, they like display ethics at the end. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a lot less one note, right? Which is really cool. Um, they establish that Daemon is like a title rather than just some guy's name, which I, I don't think was clear from the first. And I think that was appearance. absolutely clear. I'm pretty sure that was clear. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, it was. It absolutely was. Bull bullshit. <laughs> well, okay. Um, Anyway, it's it's certainly clear in this episode, which uh, which is good, but yeah, they um in this episode calls for them at least one of them to execute like a plan, so you can't have these uh, idiot cavemen running around while also pulling one over on on the Enterprise. Yeah, board. yeah, that would just be silly. Yeah, although that exact um, thing but... did happen. It literally uh, happened. Yeah, the seasons seasons on with those fat idiot uh, mongoloid race that that tricked yeah. Jordy. So right. never mind. Well, it, it's Jordy. It's Jordy. It's Jordy. Uh, <laughs> um, so I guess I guess before we get into the uh, the actual plot of this episode, um, something interesting happens where um, Wesley runs up to the bridge and announces that. Uh, he's he's found something on the radar or something. Yeah, a ship is he's, heading towards them. He's yeah, he's he's working in engineering, trying to, God, boost boost something, and he runs up to the bridge, and everyone on the bridge stops everything they're doing to listen to how great he is at, at his engineering job. Well, they do kind of um, reprimand him. They're like. You know, Wesley, you're supposed to use the the communicator, right? Like, what if something had oh, happened yeah. in your like even today? even Data sitting there like impressed? Well, Data, 
that I, Data's thing. Data does not to me. He did not look impressed. He looked like he was about to slap Wesley, because um, Wesley's like, "Oh, I managed to boost the the power grid on the engines or whatever," and Data's like, mm-hmm. "You boosted it? I'll talk to you about this later." You know, he, he <laughs> looks very offended. He just looks concerned. Yeah. I, I just I, I just think Red Spider didn't know didn't know what kind of facial expression to make. That uh, you got to be excited, but not too excited. That explains a lot of his treatment with with the data character. Yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, in this scene where we're treated to the first appearance of uh, Wesley's rainbow shirt, mm. the, the the infamous rainbow shirt that he wears for every episode from this point on, the classic. And as it were. what a lot of people don't know is that that was actually one of his personal shirts that he uh, he just bullied the crew into letting him wear it every episode. Said he was trying to make a statement or something. Well, with, um, with the whole Rock Hudson thing going on, it was a very, very um, meaningful, timely statement at the time. Yeah, for sure. I, I think some people would have appreciated it, but um, you know, the, the issue the issue kind of came when the director was like, "We we can't be doing this," you know, like you you need to kind of you know dress like everyone else, mm. um, you know, stop trying to mess with the. Uh, the, the the production, you know. Um, so he, he he tried to get him to take it off. Uh, just every time he would do that, though, um, Will would just start screeching and run away. Um, so we eventually caved just in the interest of getting getting the damn episode finished. Um, but yeah, you know, just just for the audience, if you're ever wondering why that shirt doesn't really you know feel Trek, that's that's why. Yeah, there's a lot of those little details that um, not little, but. A lot of those things that kind of pull you out of it. Um, I mentioned some earlier with the dialogue, the wardrobe now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Trek was not a perfect production uh, by any means. But I like to think that each of these flaws is actually just another thread in, in the tapestry that is the next generation. And yes, there's a certain beauty to it. There is, there is. The show would not be what it is today if any of these problems had been fixed. So God bless yeah. you, Will Wheaton. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Will. We love Will. We love Will. So so the Ferengi beam aboard, right? Yeah, they beam aboard, and that's because they're the Enterprise is worried about the ship coming towards them. And the Ferengi arranged this whole meeting. They're very suspicious. So they're like, let's get the Ferengi on board. And then if we're, like, attacked, then, you know, they're on here. It's like an insurance thing. Um, yeah. And the Frankie come aboard, and they refer to Picard as um, the hero of... Uh, what was the name of that battle? Maxia? Maxia? That sounds right. Hero of Maxia, which is a relatively minor engagement that Picard had taken part in um, years before becoming captain of the enterprise and it kind of earned him fame uh amongst the federation because of the way he handled it by using something that had gone on to be known as quote the picard maneuver the picard maneuver the picard maneuver which is a very auspicious phrase i think somebody in the writer's room had like coined the term the picard maneuver and it was such uh, so evocative that the writers knew they wanted to use it, but nobody could like be quite sure what they wanted to do with it, what they wanted the Picard maneuver to actually be. 
like for example some one group of writers wanted the picard maneuver to be something kind of like a sex act uh, mm-hmm. with the idea being that picard and not Riker would be the the Kirk analog in this iteration of the series. So Picard would have like a kind of sexual prowess. Um, right, right. So that didn't obviously didn't end up working in a number of ways, but it, in their minds, the Picard maneuver would be something much like I think what today is known as the Shocker to most people. Ah, okay. Right. Right. That would be what earned Picard his uh reputation as as a as a ladies man. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, that's interesting. So so basically the phrase was repurposed for this episode is what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. They they had the phrase first and then the final meaning came after. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny. It's funny because uh the Picard maneuver just just as as a phrase has gone through quite a few evolutions really considering that um because we'd actually after this episode we, we'd all go on to use that phrase um on oh, set yeah. oh yeah uh because um uh, you, you know patrick had that very uh public habit of uh i i guess i guess just call it adjusting himself in his uniform between shots well those uniforms uh, they uh they, they laid laid it all out Forever. yeah 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 it was um man i wish the audience could see some of that behind the scenes stuff it was not not a flattering look most of the time um but yeah so you know, you know patrick would always try to be surreptitious about it um but we we'd catch him every single time and uh you catch know, him executing would, the picard maneuver the picard maneuver every, any like someone would inevitably shout oh another picard maneuver and uh, the great thing about it is we didn't even have to like keep him in the dark about it because he just thought he just thought we were like complimenting his acting. It's uh, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, a, a yeah. joke that every everyone else could enjoy, and Patrick could, in his own way, enjoy it too. So it was almost yeah. like not even offensive, you know, really. Yeah, almost, almost. Um, right. But yeah, that really had legs. We used that for. I think the entire run of the show almost seasons and seasons and seasons worth of, of episodes had yeah. had uh, shots of the Picard maneuver on the cutting room floor, you know, just between takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It never really got old. Um. So. So the Ferengi come aboard, and um, they offer, um, they offer Picard his old ship the stargazer yes wow i'm amazed that you remember the name of it oh how could you forget the stargazer um and this this is this is where my first real problem with this episode comes in okay i I have no idea what you're gonna say here so i'm kind of excited knowing what what we know about the ferengi and what the characters know about the ferengi Mm. Is it not exceedingly suspicious that they would not be selling the Stargazer? That they would be giving the Stargazer to the crew? See, I like that. I, I explicitly like that because it's like your first sign that like something's off with this, right? Um, yes, it is kind of lame that the characters themselves don't uh, note this because they do. I think they have that information at this point that the Ferengi are very, very profit-driven as a species. So, yes, 
I agree that they should be able, they should be a little more suspicious, but I like that it uses the, the audience's, uh, their knowledge of the situation coming in, of the, of the Frankie coming in to like establish the tone of it, right? It's not like they cut to the stargazer and it has, um, something weird about it visually that only the audience can see and like, Oh, something's wrong. It's, you know, yeah. if, if you're paying attention from the previous time the Ferengi showed up and you watch this one, you're like, wait, that doesn't sound like the Ferengi. What, what's what's going on here? I get that, but I I don't think I, I don't appreciate when the the bridge crew kind of doesn't really act in the way that we've you know become accustomed to in in the same way that it was an issue with the, the episode with the race of black aliens. Hmm. It just the the plot requires characters to conveniently ignore things or just act completely differently from how how their character is written. Right. It's uh. It the plot doesn't work if the characters act like they should be acting. Yeah. So that that bothers me, and I, I get your point, and I kind of agree with it, but I think it, I think it could have been done in such a way that uh, we we didn't have to deal with, you know, Picard, who would usually be a little bit smarter about this. Just, just being a complete idiot about it, you know? I can buy Picard because he's currently under the effect of um, whatever the Frankie's doing to him. The, that that well, might Yeah, happen. and here, here's the thing, though. In any other episode, if, if you had these two events happening right next to each other, Picard getting a headache and the Ferengi showing up with a gift, someone would be like, there's something wrong here. No, no, I don't, like think, I don't think that's true. They, they very in, often... Any other they very often, even in later seasons, have the crew just not connect the dots on things. Um, I, okay, I'm looking forward, and and you can rub it in my face the next time we see something like this, for like in a good episode. Okay, okay. In, in, in an episode we both agree is good, let's, let's see this happen. I, I'm curious to see what the result of that's going to be. I'm open to being wrong. So, but I, I do believe that there are other setups that involve characters just kind of overlooking things. And it's not like... I well, I mean, of course they're going to overlook things, but it, like in this case, it's just particularly egregious. Well, overlooking two conspicuous events having a connection, specifically. Okay. Um, okay. Because, like, some, some people might make the argument, uh, oh, well, it's a television show. You as the audience are going to be more suspicious of things because you know that elements were only introduced to serve a, a larger plot but mm -hmm. in universe the characters should should be more suspicious of things given the experiences that they've had uh with with anything really because so much random nonsensical bullshit happens to them that logically they should just be on edge at all times all the time <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, they really should. I guess, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's kind of a, a good argument against, um, against what I'm saying. Mm. Because you can't really, you can't really make a show out of um, the characters who develop in such a way that they, they suspect everything all the time. Right. Now, so yeah, fair point. Granted, granted, it is, it is fine to expect them to have some kind of, um, you know, to have a brain at some point, right? They can't just blindly accept everything because that would also be unsatisfying, but... Yeah. 
I do think that this is an acceptable middle ground on that. Yeah, I see. And, and that's that's what really throws the episode for me in a certain way, um, just because I I can't get over it. Well, it's just a little too much for me. I think some of it's helped by the fact that the Ferengi are offering like the actual Stargazer ship. Um, mm-hmm. It's not something brand new. It's not um, like obviously a Trojan horse because they go to inspect the ship and it's the real thing and Picard goes over mm-hmm. and it is the real thing, right? Um, so with that established, it's a lot easier to believe that um, the Frankie did just find this and they are just returning it. Mm-hmm. Rather mm-hmm. than if like, oh, we got this brand new starship, and we're just going to give it to you. It's like, well, that's that's a lot weirder. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right about that. They did, they did present this in such a way that, and you know, I, I would say that this is, it's a fun episode to watch. It's entertaining. I just think that, like, th- th- there's just a couple little things in there that really push it, push it the other way for me to the point that I can't, I can't necessarily say that I think this is a good episode. I mean, not a bad episode, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. Um, I don't necessarily agree, but I certainly understand. Um, another one of those, uh, things that those strange elements that pull you out of it that at least stuck out to me was when they gain control of the stargazer and Riker's like all right before you go over there captain i and my crew my men we have to check it out to make sure it's safe for you and i'm like yeah that makes complete sense you don't just want to throw the captain in there right you want to go check it out because this is a kind of a strange scenario and when Riker's like my crew he means he said no. He says, he says my people. Yeah, my people. When he says my people, he means just the entirety of the chief bridge staff. Yeah, coming with yeah, him. yeah. He, he just he just means the bridge crew, uh, which is first of all insane. Um, but second, not it doesn't really deviate from any other episode, really. Right. Because the bridge crew is always putting themselves in a ridiculous amount of danger for no reason. That's that's just like. Uh, that's just track but the way Riker says my people it's it's almost like a flex to Picard when it ends up being Picard's like chief of staff yeah it is they're Picard's people right I mean what the hell it's not like a special team that Riker assembled it's just everybody within a five foot radius of him Yeah, yeah. Um, but Star Trek had already solved this problem. They already had red shirts and and you know minor crew members to go do these yeah, things. They always yeah, and that. they just kind of they just kind of disappeared um, from this show because it's it's very rare that you you just see like a nameless extra as part of the away team. Right. You only ever see nameless extras like stuck in the floor. Yeah. You know, or at at the bar, or, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, wearing male skirts. Wearing male skirts, indeed. We, we still yeah. have some of that going on. Not, the male <laughs> skirts have not left us, not yet. Very progressive show. Extremely. But, you know, they go oh. to check out the, um, the Stargazer, and they find that it is Picard's ship. And uh, this is like the first moment of intrigue in the episode, where they go to fetch Picard's possessions and there's like something, some device lurking in there. 
uh, and it's it seems to be related to Picard's uh, migraines because like he opens his trunk, there's like a device in there, and uh, Picard like collapses in his chair and he's like, ah, oh, my headache. Um, so that's and and, and here, here's my next problem. Okay. Um, I think, I think it would have done a great service to this episode if they did not show the ball. The ball still exists. Just don't show it there. Because we already know what's going on. Yes. Um, I, I th- I'm I, trying to think of the rest of the episode, if how the ball is used later on. Like, if, if the next time we see it, which I believe is probably in the Frankie possession, if it mm-hmm. makes sense without having seen it before. You know? Because it's... You essentially... If the next uh, time it appears on screen is when Damon Bach is just kind of leering over it like a crystal ball. Uh, does does that have an intrinsic link to Picard's headache if we don't kind of see Picard react to it being in a close proximity of, of the other one? Well, I would argue that we don't even need the scenes of Bach using the ball. Just, just introduce the ball near the end of the episode and, you know, find a way to let the audience know what it does um, at that point. Because because then then it's an episode where it's like, you know, Picard's having all these headaches, um, and then at the end we finally understand why, and we're, we also don't necessarily know if the Ferengi are plotting something throughout the entire episode. Um, where, you know, in the final product, it kind of blows its load early in terms of that, and mm. it, the, the audience knows exactly what's going on while the crew doesn't, and I, I just don't think that that necessarily makes for uh as interesting a story as it could be i think that would have been cool to have like that be a kind of twist precipitated by things like the ferengi acting strangely in regards to profit or whatever however by the by the crew finding the ball we're allowed to have the scene where Riker communes with the first officer on the ferengi ship he's like we found this thing uh you know and the guy mentions it being like some criminal device. And he's like, do you know anything about this? And the other first officer starts getting suspicious of, of his captain, which ultimately pays off with uh, the kind of mutiny on board of the Ferengi ship, which has like a very meaningful point where the Ferengi are capable of being moral and ethical. Um, yeah. Which I think is one of well, the, the, the better parts of the episode. I, I agree with that, but you know, in that case, just just keep the first appearance to when Riker discovers the ball. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, you could have done this, like, have the exact same scene play out in the Picard's room on the Stargazer, without mm-hmm. showing the ball in that trunk. Just have it be buried by something, and it probably would have been yeah. better. You're right. I think it's just a little too obvious. It's it's spoon feeding a little too much. Yeah, and I think. You mentioned cutting the scenes of Bach like at at the ball, and that's those are all very cuttable. Um, yeah, just maybe make his monologue at the end a little longer, um, explaining mm-hmm. you know the connection between Picard and his son, which as a concept I also thought was really good. That's another one yeah, of the parts of the great. episode I really yeah. liked. It's yeah, it, it all makes complete sense in like n- numerous ways. So. The Ferengi are like a pretty big force in that, you know, they're capable of warp and teleporting and they're known around the galaxy for being profitable or wanting profits. 
But it's like, well, why hasn't the Federation encountered them before? Well, they did. And it, through this misunderstanding, they just never really understood that it was Ferengi and they never were able mm -hmm. to talk. And like, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Fleshing out Picard's backstory of like other, um, you know, ethically gray problems that he's been in. Like, that's that's interesting. Um, it yeah, uh, I mean, it, it was it was supposed to take a different turn, though, wasn't it? I mean, in terms of Picard's past yeah, it was um i i like where they ultimately ended up but we had an opportunity with this to really take star trek and what i think is a very different direction um so the original pitch for this episode had a lot of the same elements in it things like uh picard having this encounter before getting on the enterprise um frankie coming back to remind him of it but originally it was a much, much darker episode, and Picard was going to become a much darker character. So mm -hmm. the Frankie produced like a, a fake voice recording, a fake captain's log of Picard that kind of incriminates yeah. him. Yeah. In, in, right, in, right. And, and Riker has to confront him about it. Right. And Riker ultimately deduces, and not Riker, Data and Geordi ultimately find that it's a fake. But originally, like the that was supposed to be a big part of the script, and that that would be a real captain's log that Picard actually said, and he would end up just being kind of like a war criminal, um, based on how he handled that encounter with the Ferengi, and it was the whole thing was going to be a commentary on like, you know, histories written by the victors because Picard escaped the situation, he he was able to mold the narrative however he wanted to. And it was going to add a lot of layers to who Picard was because on he's he appears to be so upstanding and and moral um, when in actuality he has this extremely dark and violent past. Um, obviously, that's not what we ended up going with, mostly because we had a lot of difficulty writing a way that the Enterprise crew would still agree to serve under Picard and not just mutiny and turn him into turn him into the Federation. Um, there was no way of doing that without compromising all of the characters, basically all the characters in who they are. Yeah, it would, it would, it would make them all basically war criminals by association. Exactly. And the idea of like a rogue Federation ship that's no longer uh, on with uh, going, you know, gelling with the morals and the principles of the Federation that was kicked around that we kind of wanted that a little bit of that for Voyager kind of had that nineties counterculture yeah. edge to it, right. but it never ended up panning out. And I'm kind of glad that we didn't go with it for this, this, for this series either. Um, I, I like just having this North star beacon of morals that, that the Federation and the enterprise rather um, always are. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it, it ended up, it ended up working. It did. Um, so yeah, yeah. So Buck wants to, wants to kill Picard. Um, petty revenge. Yeah. Yeah. Petty revenge. Um, yeah. And yeah, th that, that was a really, really great, great conflict in this episode. I mean, um, even, even, uh, his, his name's not coming to me now, but the actor who played Buck, um, was really good too. I mean, all of their scenes together were great. Yeah, I think there's a very clear step down between the the guy playing Bach and the two other Frankie actors in the episode. Really, just one. Um, yeah. Uh, where 
Bach is a lot more human, I guess, in, in how he acts. Yeah, whereas, yeah. Whereas the other guy has, like, much larger um, teeth prosthetics, and it kind of impacts how he talks and how he acts. Right, right. I, either way, and I mean, we've said this probably several times already, uh, this episode, but um, still a much, much better depiction than we were treated to on uh, yeah. the last outpost. I think that this episode has the most like genuinely villainous and competent thing a Ferengi has ever done on Star Trek. It's possible. It's possible because this was in that transition period before they actually just became full-on comic relief type type aliens. Exactly. You would never have a Ferengi in later seasons like having a moral quandary and and coming out on top of it as as a as a paragon of what a first officer should be like you would well, never... I mean, you do you... Yeah. yeah i guess that's that's i think that's probably true but you you do you do have bot come back later you do um yeah so because only so many people would ever agree to to be a ferengi right let's because like Actors who had to to act as Ferengi always complained about the fucking makeup. Yeah, I remember they weren't they weren't exactly happy about it. So, the, you think of the different aliens in Star Trek: Klingon, Ferengi, whatever. They all have some sort of like headpiece going on. Usually, something with their nose. A little yeah, bit. yeah. They they got some like ridges on their face or whatever. Right, but the Ferengi. Yeah, really little stuff. The Ferengi had the biggest the most like makeup and prosthetics layered on top of the actors than anything else I can imagine outside of like a full body costume, like uh, those, those lizards and dogs from the previous episodes. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, the actors just hated it. And it was kind of funny because one of the actors, uh, I think it was the guy who played Damon Bach. It might've been the first officer. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Kind of took a shot at the makeup department in in this episode for that because uh at one point he's he's talking to Riker or Picard and he has to he's supposed to say like I'm listening like you're giving me an offer I'm listening um but instead he said oh I'm all ears which is a very clear reference to the size of the ears on the the Ferengi costume yeah and (laughs) it's kind of his way of saying oh I'm all ears that's all that's on my fucking face because you put these huge ears on me every day when we when we do shooting and I hate it um and it was like a pretty obvious joke that we all had a good laugh at i mean yeah yeah makeup makeup didn't find it so funny but everybody else shared a moment of mirth yeah that was that was classic it was very very um quick improv on on the actor's part too very natural yeah actually Mm -hmm. yeah it was pretty good um let's talk stargazer Let's talk Stargazer. Let's talk a black spray paint to signify something's been burned. Yeah, yeah, that was that was interesting. I, I do have to say, I love the set. Um, as you know, any informed fan would probably know. It's just it's a redressed um, set from the original films. Mm. Um, I really like the juxtaposition of the old bridge against the new one it's always fun to see and they do this a few times it is um you have little things like picard sitting in this chair that has like amusement park roller coaster straps (laughs) it's literally just an office chair 
you, you can see it like like wiggle around as he sits in it. Yeah. It's like barely stable. And yeah, those stupid things that go over his arms. Like, what was Just, the point? What, what was the Yeah. Um, I, I will say as much as I love it, I do think it really doesn't have a place in uh, a show like The Next Generation where effects had gotten you know, much better by that point. They, they probably should have replaced the chairs at least. Right. And um, it's it's like having um like dials and switches on on a console somewhere. It's like it doesn't gel with how ships are purported to be built in in, yeah. in universe at this time. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just I don't know. Very off putting sometimes. But what I did want to bring up is we get onto the onto the bridge, right? Everything's burned destroyed right mm. um we learned that the crew had to abandon ship during the the battle of maxia as it's so called after executing the picard maneuver uh, yes yes um and yet when picard takes over the ship at the end of the episode it's still fully functional yeah completely operational minus six uh photon, photon torpedoes yeah yeah that's that's it they just lost a couple torpedoes and that's you know now it's a credible threat to the Enterprise after having been blown the fuck up. See, I had thought that, like, uh, Picard was going to ram the Enterprise, which mm -hmm. would be uh, a way that the ship would, if it's capable of moving, that it would be capable of damaging the Enterprise in, in, in a way. Because you can't, you can't really have that old-style bridge set while also claiming that it's on a equal level with the enterprise to seriously damage it in, a, in an engagement yeah and the ship is tiny the ship itself is like what a fourth of the size of the enterprise exactly so i it's that you had to kind of suspend your disbelief a little bit for because i think i had the same reaction when when that final part of the episode's gearing up i'm like oh i guess everything still works and i guess picard yeah, i mean this is like a the fourth thing I've had to suspend my disbelief for. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I get those complaints. But the core of the episode is not about any of these. The core of the episode is just about, like, this this ethical question of what really happened there before you get the final details. Like, did Picard just kill an innocent ship? Uh, you know, what what happened? And, like, that's interesting to think about as the episode progresses, and ultimately, no, you're right. you obviously you find out that Picard didn't just murder people for no reason. Um, he wouldn't do that. But the fact that it, it, it asks you to think about that in a way that's not uh, insulting nor incredibly obvious, where the answer is not, oh, it's Picard, of course he didn't, didn't do that. Why would I ever think otherwise? Like, it manages to, to ask that question in a fine way, and I found that interesting. Yeah, you're right. And I, I may be leaning a little too hard into my facts and logic YouTube video essayist. Um, but I, I, I don't disagree with you. Well, I just I just think that there's just just a couple things too many that that really, really make me feel that uh, it's, it's, it's just not quite up to par in the way that it should be this episode. I understand. Some there, I think there's a place for both of these. There's a place for like 
understanding the intent of the story and what does and does not serve that. And then there's also a place for having a 30 minute conversation about the nature of replicators. You know, there's you, yeah. you, you need both of these things to enjoy Star Trek. Um, the, the further the the action of the story is removed from physical uh, actions, like 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 a fight or something, uh, mm-hmm. and the more it goes towards the mental psychological, then I think those concrete details matter less to me. Like about yeah. oh how is the ship powered? To some respect, it doesn't really matter. Um, now, if if the I whole, agree with you to a point there, yeah. If the whole episode had been about like a battle between two spaceships happening like right now, and the capabilities of the Ferengi ship and the capabilities of the the Enterprise, and now this Stargazer ship is also going to be a threat that they have to fight, then it's a lot. That's a that's a much more pertinent question. Like, how is this wrecked derelict ship at all relevant to to the behemoth that is the Enterprise? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I I I I can see that. Um, this is quite the twist. Neither of us really changed their minds at all. Oh my god. <laughs> um, so. The the final confrontation, I guess we kind of skipped over a lot in our little plot summary, but I, the audience has seen the episode anyway. I'm sure they don't need to uh, well, there's not hear it retold. So, there's not so much to it. Like, you know... Picard gets mind-controlled. Right, and a guy wants revenge for Picard killing his son. Everything yeah. else in the middle of it is like, all right, we analyze the recordings. And we mentioned right. Wesley's part in it way earlier, so we don't have to retread that. There's not, like, so many steps here. Because most of what you're seeing is just, again, mental in nature. So it is easier to gloss over it. Yeah, 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 you're right about that. Um, But I did want to bring up at the end of that final confrontation, you know, Picard's about to attack the Enterprise and Riker manages to get through to him, right? Mm -hmm. By doing the stupid eye thing. By doing the eye thing. And uh, Picard's, Picard's like, where have I seen that eye before? Right. Right. And, uh, I. Right. Riker. Riker. <laughs> Riker tells him to look for a sphere, right? And, and he, he finds the sphere and he says, sphere, sphere. <laughs> and this he, part was strange. This is the funniest thing I've seen so far on The Next Generation. He points his phaser at the sphere, destroys it, and does like a slow motion <laughs> jump away from the exploding sphere, like knocks him off his feet. <laughs> but it's just so ridiculous looking. Well, why did he jump in the air the moment the sphere exploded? I, I mean, especially for how... It's it's a tense scene, but that particular conflict between Picard and the sphere, you know what's going to happen. I mean, he's going to destroy the sphere. It's kind of just matter of fact. But they really hammed it up. They did. It's, um... Hammy is the right way to put it. Because it's really dragged out. He's like, sphere, phaser, sphere, sphere. Like you said. Um, Yeah. And I think the episode kind of has a lot... Not a lot, but it has a number of hammy moments in between the acting and the way it was shot. And the go-to example of this to me is when Picard is hallucinating in his room um, back on the Enterprise... He starts seeing hallucinations of his old crew from the Stargazer. 
and there's like a fire superimposed around the screen and Picard's like believing that he's back there and the camera has like these weird low uh dutch yes. angles at Picard that are more in- visually interesting than the series usually has for shots for camera work but it's also pretty pretty cheesy hammy in a way it's it's a bit of a mundane scene to use that in right and it's it does the, the job of like all right something's off here you know picard's hallucinating the, the camera feels weird too like i get it but um and i enjoyed it but i do think that it also hits those those hammier tones that are up here again in the climax of the episode yeah yeah no you're, you're right about that um so yeah i mean i, I think that's a about it um i've i've maybe come to see your point a little bit better yeah i i hope so because i'm right um you're not you're not right but you're not wrong either i'm not right but i'm correct and just because you're correct doesn't mean you're right. in my notes here i wrote quote first good episode from beginning to end end quote i don't think that's true what was the episode uh before that we said was the best one Hold on, I'm, I'm searching my memory banks here. Yeah, I, don't worry about it. But but there was a good episode. There was a good one, but I think that previous like good episodes were good for the time and had like a scene or two, or like at the beginning or the ending that didn't quite work so well. Oh, it was the one. We're living a... the other Picard yeah. possession episode. Um, oh, was it? Are you sure, really? Yeah, where Picard is uh, that energy yeah. entity comes yeah. in, and we're like, well, the ending no, of this no, is kind of no, that... stupid. We we considered the A plot for that good. The B plot was was dumb. What was the B plot on that episode? The the two delegates. Yes. Yeah, oh my god! It was that episode. Yeah. That. Yeah. That was not good. No, there was a different one. But whatever. Let's let's not hang on this too long. But like um, I, like I said before, I think this episode is just good, not for the time, but just a good episode of TNG. And if if somebody was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna get into TNG, I want episodes recommended to me this would be the first episode that we've watched that i would recommend to somebody that oh you should watch this all right well i mean will wheaton would agree with you on that so will wheaton would yeah agree shall we move to trivia let's move to trivia let's move to trivia all right computer activate star trek trivia so today we're going to do something a little bit different, Mitch. Um, I've thought about it, and I think I want to make this segment, uh, you know, kind of a kind of a like a quiz show. Oh, that's a good so, idea. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you questions about um, Star Trek trivia. Uh, you know, anything from production to you know in-universe mm. uh, fictional stuff, and um, you will see if you can get the right answer. Well, I should okay. warn you, in all fairness, I should warn you that I do own a copy of Star Trek Trivial Pursuit. So, oh, well, you might have met your match. For that, so luckily for me, luckily for me, our, uh, our first question is not pulled from Star Trek Trivial Pursuit, but the TNG Bible, the TNG script writing Bible. Okay. Um, and there's a section titled the script what doesn't work so you know story ideas that uh that gene did not want to see all right 
Am I supposed to guess these? One of these. Oh, okay. One of these. No, you're not going to guess these. Wait a minute. One of these is going to be false and is going to contradict what we've seen so far. Okay. And you have to guess which one of these is not in the Trek Bible. Okay. 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 So again, the script, what doesn't work? There's going to be six of them. Hmm. Number one. Stories which do not materially involve our own crew. You know, stories that, you know, are centered on new characters or characters that only appear for one episode, right? Okay. Number two, um, stories about psi forces or mysterious psychic powers. I think that's self-explanatory. Mm. Um, number three, any stories which uh, portray the Enterprise crew as galactic policemen. Mm. Number four, stories about the original Star Trek characters. Okay. Number five, writing fantasy instead of science fiction. Oh, my God. And finally, number six, writing swords and sorcery. Knights and princesses, that kind of thing. Dragons. I love that that's so, separate from sorcery. Yeah, interesting, interesting choice there. I, I, guess, I guess they really wanted to, to hammer that one home. But, again, one of these is false. Okay. So which one is and you're saying one of them should have contradicted an episode that we've already seen? Yeah. Okay, so let me let me make sure I have them all. Uh, no okay. sword and sorcery, no fantasy, no intergalactic policemen crew, no stories mm -hmm. about people that are not part of the crew. Um, there's two more. Uh, no, no psychic powers. No psychic powers. What was the last one? Original Star Trek characters. No original Star Trek. No characters. stories about, about original Star Trek characters. Okay, well, a lot of these things happen at at some point later on in in the series, but until now, Jesus. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. I I just I just meant like in Star Trek in general. Oh. Wait, Star Trek in general. Um... Just, just I, the TNG, TNG in general. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of these things happen in TNG later on. Um, well, see, this this is where you have to get creative and, and see the way that they, you know, twisted these things to be able to fit them in there. Gotcha. But one, one of them, one of them absolutely does contradict. All right. So I'm kind of leaning towards intergalactic policemen, and I'm also leaning towards psychic powers. Um, okay. Because the very concept of Troy's character is already skirting that line for psychic uh, powers. And, it absolutely is, like just for exception. Right, and. The um, intergalactic policeman is basically what they do every single episode to some extent, um, mm -hmm. except for last episode where they were kind of intergalactic outlaws, just breaking breaking laws. Um, I'm gonna say that psychic powers is not one of the the series Bible. Don't do this laws. Okay, okay, that, that's your final answer. That's my final answer. Well, Mitch, you are incorrect. These are all real. What? These are all real. <laughs> Every <laughs> single one of these is real, um, and all of them seem to get contradicted at some point. I, I certainly can agree with that. Um, uh, there's, like, an episode where Dr. Crusher is in, like, a romance novel with a ghost inside of some mansion, and, mm -hmm. like, that contradicts, like, several of these. Uh, there's that episode where Scotty comes back. That contradicts. I mean, it, Scott's, uh, uh, Spock's father comes back. Yes. Yeah. 
Spock comes back. So, yeah, and and there are entire episodes centered around these characters. Like, <laughs> um, there's actually a second page to this. Do you want to hear the rest? I do. Treating deep space as a local neighborhood, <laughs> which it obviously does. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> Star Trek is not melodrama, which well, okay. To be fair, I think they did kind of avoid that. They um, do, and then and then there's like. Oh, now Troy and Worf are dating. Like, for the most part, they avoided it. For the most part, yeah. Uh, no stories about warfare with Klingons or Romulans, and no stories with Vulcans. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I respect them for, for wanting to write this rule, where it's like, okay, this is what we did before, now we're going to do something new. And then, yep. uh, then the Ferengi appeared, and people are like, ah, "That's not working." Yep, yep. Um, number ten, stay true to the Prime Directive, and that's that's one we've we've already seen that's completely destroyed. Makes me angry. <laughs> we are not quote space meddlers, they say. Um, number eleven, plots involving a whole civilization rarely work. What does work is to deal with specific characters from another culture and their interactions with our own continuing characters. Now, we've seen this violated at least twice by now. I, yeah, but I think in principle it works. Um, I think of episodes like the one where, we, for some reason I mention this episode all the time, uh, the one where Riker is undercover and is like in the hospital and they find out that he's not from there. It's like that episode centers mm -hmm. on a very few and a very small number of uh, that species and their interactions with the crew. And uh, it works really well. And then other times, it's like there's a whole just crowd of them that the uh, crew is in interfacing with, and it's just whatever. There's there's just a whole civilization of alien black people. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I'm by no means saying that they need to follow this stuff, because, you know, well, Star Trek TNG actually did become something great. But... It is hilarious how quickly they reneged on basically all of this. It is. Um, but this this is one example where I think that even going into later seasons, they, they had a, a handle on it. Whereas this one they violated more early, whereas the other ones they violate more as the show goes on. Right, right. And I guess maybe they just became a little more confident with being able to write around these kinds of things. Um, yeah. But continuing on, and we're going to see we're going to see this broken, I think, very, very soon. Um, mad scientists or stories in which technology is considered the villain. A good principle for a sci-fi show to to have. You don't want to demonize the whole mm -hmm. foundation of what you're doing. Right, right. but then, then we're introduced to Data's brother. Oh, God. <laughs> and everything surrounding that, you know, so. That, the that, that was That was, yeah. The, and the, yeah, the Borg, wow, wow, wow. That's right. Then the epic team-up uh, of Data's brother and the Borg. And the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we come to... This, this one's going to get you. Stories in which our characters must do something stupid or dangerous, or in which our technology breaks down in order to create Jeopardy. <laughs> so every episode. Every, every single episode. <laughs> This this must be there. I think there's an asterisk at the end of that one that you missed, um, unless Wesley Crusher is there to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess I kind of want to ask too: How do you write anything with these rules? 
what yeah. are you gonna write about okay what can we conceive of of a plot point like like a story pitch that does not violate any of these so the crew can never disagree with each other basically right because that'd be melodramatic they they're traveling through space holding hands singing kumbaya and uh drinking veggie shakes and um from from the uh the synthesizer or whatever um and they a replicator and they stumble upon an advanced alien race uh also charting their way through space they beam aboard and there's zero conflict um they hug the the advanced alien race shows them a new technology which is amazing and improves their lives uh by several degrees and then the crew beams back aboard their ship and goes on their way cut to credits yeah i think i think i've just created an episode where none of this is violated all right th- let me ask you this there's an episode where Worf is jumping between parallel timelines um mm-hmm. does that violate any of these jumping between parallel timelines uh how how um it's not explained okay i don't think so i don't think it no all right is, well, is there warfare with klingons in it oh or romulan God. um there is they show a glimpse into one timeline where like the federation lost to to the borg maybe maybe the romulans okay and and that version of the crew wants to like kill our version of the crew so they don't fix things which okay might be melodramatic might just be dramatic yeah yeah i don't think it violates anything good what really gets me is is the the two swords and sorcery and writing fantasy yeah when what they said is don't write any sherlock Holmes themes (laughs) episodes That would have been really helpful, but if they were going to violate it anyway, who cares? Oh my god, they violated these these laws like the crew violates the Prime Directive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it for the trivia corner. Thanks for uh, participating, Mitch. Oh well, I'll, I'll get them next time. I promise. I'll put my trivial pursuit skills to the test and come out on top. Yeah, looking forward to it. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of The Readier Room. And join us next time on The Readier Room, where we'll be ready in our room. And until then, everybody, stay readier. The Troublesome Little Man Child. Consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. beginning, 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 beginning.